Hi, and welcome to Literary Lunch, a light lunch for your literary appetite. Munchies. No, 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 we're not saying munchies. We're saying appetite. I see how it is. Reject my amazing ideas. I will reject so many of your ideas in the course of just the intro alone. I guess we should probably explain who we are and what this is. Uh, I think they could just read the description. We don't have to do all that. But then how will we join the long history of podcasters who explain themselves on the first episode? Alright, hi, I'm Beth. I am a nanny and a dedicated reader. I'm currently working on my first novel. I graduated two years ago, and I have not yet come to terms with that. And I am V. I'm her friend with Book of Fits. I will leave it to your imagination, all the things that that could possibly entail. No, 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 no. We are not leaving anything to people's imaginations. Imaginations on the internet are horrible. Good point. We read books together. Um, Speaking of horrible imaginations... V wanted to name this podcast so many things, including, but not limited to, Books and Boobs, the Erotica Book Club, despite the fact that I will be reading zero erotica on this podcast. And then she wanted to go with Books and Booze, then, the Drunk Book Club. But we're going for a much more casual and sober premise, as we do not want to get alcohol poisoning at 3 p.m., or 2 a.m. at her time. The struggles of recording internationally. We are dedicated. What can we say? Essentially, we read sort of stories and we talk about them and we usually stay on track. Um, mm, don't make false promises on the first episode. Hey, hey, that's how you start any relationship with false promises. You can listen to us on your lunch break and read along with the same short stories we do. It's like a little book club, spoilers included. So, let's go into the lightning round review for our first story, The Theory of Light and Matter by Andrew Porter, which is exactly as pretentious as the title would lead you to believe. It's the winner of the Flannery O'Connor Prize and recipient of many accolades, as well as having been translated into several languages. Personally, I don't love this story in English. You know how you feel about your final physics exam? Especially when your professor is an edgelord douche who administers a make-a-point exam rather than testing concepts you studied hard for in preparation. Heather's 30 years older professor treats her as an equal. Their connection is just so... Deep. Hashtag feminism. Well-rounded woman written by a man. We think not. And now for the synopsis. Incredible transition. I love it. Heather is hashtag not like other students. When her physics professor passes out an unsolvable equation as the final exam, she's the only one who stays in the end trying to solve it. This earns her an invite back to her professor's cruddy apartment, and pretty soon they've started the world's shadiest independent study. She then spends the rest of the story wondering which of two mediocre men to define her life by. Man number one, her boyfriend, who will make sure she never lacks financial stability. Man number two, her geriatric friend, who can give her that life of wild passion that she so craves. Because we all know the sexual appeal of an elderly, schlubby edgelord. Get the D to avoid getting Ds. Oh my god. Here's an excerpt from a Goodreads review of this short story we'll be reading today, The Theory of Light and Matter. <laughs> In the title story, The Theory of Light and Matter, 
The narrator describes choosing between a life of quiet stability and a life of passion. Other reviewers I read here have also remarked upon the remarkably insightful language in this story, and I have to agree. Sentences like, The only truth lies in the secrets we keep from each other, make so much sense. You almost have to put the book down and think about how you might apply them to your own life. So... Are they high or are we? Because this is just terrible writing. Right? Yeah, yikes. Um, where to begin? One of the first big points that struck us about this story is the dynamic between Heather, our protagonist, a college student, and her 30 years older professor, It's pretty yikes because he's in a position of power over her to the point of determining her academic and potentially professional future. And she's Mm -hmm. very vulnerable to this. In a quote, she says, I already felt a calmness, a warmth in my blood that came from being with him. It was the same warmth that I felt in the presence of my father's friends, older men who it was easy to joke with, men whose shyness in the presence of young, attractive women somehow rendered them harmless. I find that so skeevy, personally. Like, I'm sorry, what kind of older men are you hanging out with that they're like, oh, I need to, I'm so shy around this young girl oh oh my god she's so pretty yeah and she seems to be really vulnerable to accepting that kind of reaction and when she gets treated as a quote-unquote equal by her professor she actually believes that their dynamic is equal when in reality it is anything but. You know, it's like how she says, I enjoyed the way he asked me questions candidly and the way he looked me directly in the eyes when I spoke. He treated me as I imagine he would have treated one of his colleagues, an adult, an equal. But that's the thing about people in positions of power who are pursuing an inappropriate relationship with people they have power over is they really lean on this illusion of trying to make themselves and their target feel like equals. So for example, um, say a man in his mid-20s wants to date a 15-year-old. He might say, well, you're just so mature for your age. You look a lot older and you act a lot older and I'm really a child at heart. And in that way, try and close the uh the age gap between them which in that specific scenario would come with a kind of a power dynamic exactly and not to mention the creepy fact that this exchange between them is him teaching her about physics and her telling him about her life it's like he's collecting stories about her without reciprocating and that is just kind of creepy that's true i didn't realize it before but she doesn't really learn nearly as much about his life as he learns about hers like she even tells him about her attraction to like friends of her father's like these older men that she found so appealing so in this one segment for example um Did you ever love any of them? He asked me one evening as we were sitting on his couch. These men. I looked at him. Are you asking me whether I've ever been in love with an older man? Yes, he said. I suppose I am. And then a little further on. How about you? I said. Have you ever been in love with a younger woman? Oh, he smiled. I imagine there have been a few. He winked at me. Gross. Gross. 
I don't understand how one can read this and the takeaway be, oh, how literary instead of, oh, this is just poorly written, creepy behavior. And it's not it's not addressed within the structure of the story that this behavior is creepy. In fact, the story goes out of its way to seemingly say, oh, he could have taken advantage of me at that point, but he didn't. He could have flirted, but that's the closest he came to flirting. You know, it was it really like downplays any sort of problem when in reality, the entire situation is the problem. Exactly. It's not just um, it's not only an issue if there's actual sexual contact. It's still an issue to be you know, emotionally preyed upon by an older man who very clearly sees you in a romantic light. What about the passage where she talks about how in technical terms, the relationship is a violation of school policy and he tells her things like, I could lose everything because of you. Woohoo! That's not at all threatening. No siree, this is a normal thing to say and not at all a way to keep her, you know, to keep it a secret and make it feel like if she tells anyone, she'll be putting him in danger. That's not something a manipulator would do, right? No. Why ever would you say such a thing, Beth? (laughs) Yes, I suppose it's just my silly little feminist thoughts. Uh, Take those away from the story. They clearly don't belong here. (laughs) (laughs) He um, mocks her for not liking some weird, artistic old movie because you know, all art is hard or something, as if something can't be enjoyable and also artistic. No, 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 no. Art is only good if it's boring. It art and pain and suffering. I mean, they both have like that I'm so deep, hashtag deep, you know. Hashtag deep. Not, like, not actually deep, but hashtag deep, where it's just like, oh, you know, everything is so meaningless and everything is so predetermined. I can't go off the path that is set before me and it's so depressing and so monotonous and my life is just so gray i think that the reason literary critics love the story so much is the sort of melancholy tone of it yeah i actually think that works against the story because it takes away from character development for instance with heather um she is lying in bed with her lover Colin and the thought that crosses her mind um, as any young woman would clearly want is apparently I'm not in love but I think that this is the guy I am going to marry and I won't be unhappy with that and the problem is these these pieces of knowledge just kind of come to her as if imposed by authorial intent rather than any organic development of her own. Well, Heather Heather doesn't want anything in this story. She ha- She's full of, like, purposeless longing, it almost seems. Like, she sort of, she wants to be with Robert, but not really. She doesn't want to be with Colin, but not enough to leave. And it's almost like she has feelings about things, but her feelings have no bearing on her actions. That's what gets me. It literally does not matter what she thinks or feels because it does not impact the way she proceeds. There's no examination of why she makes the decisions that she makes. In fact, my favorite sentence of this story 
to describe why it's my least favorite story, that is, <laughs> is um, it just seemed inevitable. And when something seems inevitable, you can either choose to accept it or you can try to be strong and try to fight it. And I wasn't in the right state of mind to be strong. And there's no examination as to why and what are the barriers preventing her from being strong? Is it these men who she is choosing in false dichotomies of it is Robert or Colin or dying alone? She does know emotional heavy lifting. She does know introspection. And like you said, there's just no there's no natural progression of an exciting interiority of hers that we want to explore. There's just a paper cutout of Heather and things just come to her and things happen to her. She is the object of events and she just floats through life. And it's, I really get the sense that the driving force behind this story isn't any of the characters because even the best character, our boy Colin uh, is pretty one dimensional. Like he just is in love with Heather and also is a swim boy and a doctor. Hey, that's not and fair. That- he he is complex. He swims. He he literally hashtag deep into the swimming pool. He swims. <laughs> no, yeah, okay. I'm sorry. Well, he is the most developed character in this story, which I think says a lot. But even even then, he doesn't really matter. You know, nobody in this story really matters. It feels like the driving mechanic of the story isn't like emotions or events it's just oh my god wouldn't it be shocking if this student had a relationship with her professor and how can i make that deep and artsy and edgy and you know critics eat it up and i think that really speaks to what kinds of things critics tend to love versus what kinds of things are generally enjoyable to read like, there's a lot of overlap there, for sure. Um, you know, critics aren't like these alien creatures who don't understand joy. But there's definitely a sense in the American art scene of if it, ha- if it matters, it's very serious and it's very, like, deep-sounding and uh, prosaic and it should really only be in like tones of gray. There are definitely instances where you can do this very um, introspective story where not a lot happens necessarily, um, but you're really in the character's mind and exploring like this very gray psychological space. There can be wonderful books like that and wonderful stories. Like, for example, um, Caitlin R. Kiernan's book, The Red Tree. But it works so well because the character has a personality. She also has, like, this innate human quality. And that's what's missing from this story is that sense of this illusion of humanity projected onto the page. Our literary lunch club rates this half a sandwich out of five. Because it had exactly one good quote that I will remember. Because um, the professor tells her that she passed his amazing test of turning in the exam. (laughs) And she says, do I get an A then? And he says, no, you get some tea. Next week, we will be reading The Husband Stitch. Follow us on Twitter at LitLunchCast. Email us at LitLunchPodcast at gmail.com. Or find us at our website, LitLunchPodcast.wordpress.com. That's right. We're those cheapskates who have a WordPress domain. 
Listen, we are not making money off of this. This is a passion project. Unless someone wants to sponsor us, please sponsor us. That would be amazing. Thank you. <laughs> we will sell our souls for money because we are broke. We want to hear your thoughts, feelings, and reactions to this week's story and next week's if you choose to read along. Please shoot us an email with any comments you may have or fill out the form on our website. You may even get a shout out. Or tweet us. You may even get a shout out or tweet us. We have five Twitter followers. We're looking to expand a little. That would be great. One of them is me and one of them is Beth. And one is my friend that I made get a Twitter to like my tweets. (laughs) Bye, lunchies. Munchies. We're going with munchies.